Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Kalmetta here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in this series, The Deeper Meaning of the Bible, Part 3. Welcome back to the show, Susan. Thanks again. Glad to be back, Dina. So another very exciting segment to this topic. Yes, we're back for more. And I think that uh, the listeners are going to like some of what we're going to cover because we are actually going to go deeper into the Bible and get past the surface and move in closer to what God has written and the meaning he's trying to put out. And, you know, what this takes is not, not just reading the book, but it takes a full surrender to the Lord. We've got to get past our lukewarm condition, and we've got to dig our heels in and get into a deeper relationship. And then we also need the Holy Spirit to take the scales off our eyes, like what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you get to a point where he starts to take the scales off and he gives you the eye salve that he mentions uh, in the Bible when he's talking about Laodicea, how they need the ISAV of God. And it's these things. Now, are we talking about our eyes really? No, we're really talking about the spiritual eyes and our understanding of the Bible through our heart and our minds, the renewing of the mind through Jesus Christ. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so I want to share a revelation that God had given me in the Bible. And it has a lot of serious meaning. And I've spoken on this topic before, but I want to talk about it because, honestly, it's it's a big one. Okay, Dina, this is a very big one, and we've got to look at this. Okay? So, actually, what we're doing is we're going into the book of Revelation. Remember chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation? We talk about the seven churches. Yes. Okay, well, God takes us to Pergamos, which was one of the seven churches, in chapter 2 of Revelation. And he brought me to this point because he was giving me a revelation about the definition of the occult. Now, do you find that interesting, that God has a real way that he defines the occult? And I think it's important that as Christians, we know what that is. Well, the Lord took me to Pergamos, and here's what he did. We see a couple places in the Bible in which Daniel and John in Revelation, John in Revelation, twice, John bows down to an angel. And we see this happen with Daniel as well. Now, we must understand that these angels are really something to see, that they're really... I mean, uh, that they send these guys down to the ground, that the first thought is to worship them. And what do we find these angels doing in every instance? They're telling Daniel and John, get up, get up. You're not to worship me, only Almighty God, right? That's right. And poor John, he doesn't do it just once. He does it twice, okay? And so uh, that tells us that uh, these angels are really powerful beings for him to make that mistake more than once, okay? Mm -hmm. But then, you know, the Lord shows me how this had taken place, and then he also leads me 
to the scripture, and we find this in Pergamos, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And so I want to just take a look at this section right here, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. And so the speaker here is Jesus. Okay, And it says, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. And so we see Jesus condemning, with he has a con- condemnation, that they are at the seat of Satan. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So now, the name Pergamos is the root of the English word bigamy and polygamy because Pergamos was guilty of polygamy with the church and the world and a mixed marriage between church and the world. And so today's churches are also committing bigamy with God and the world. And the Babylonian religion set up its headquarters in Pergamos and infiltrated Christianity, creating gross mixture. And if you study the Bible, Balak lured the Jewish men away through women of Balak's kingdom, causing the men to be drawn to evil, heathen religions, falling away. And so it was for the church of Pergamos, caught up in the worldliness of that region. And so it is today for the churches, even. And so we take a look at this whole thing on the seat of Satan. We're not going to go a whole lot deeper into Pergamos, but we must point, we must note that Jesus calls this area the seat of Satan. Now, let me explain why Jesus does this. Because archaeologists have uncovered the fact that the seat of Satan, Dina, was actually the Temple of Zeus in Pergamos. So the Acropolis of Pergamon rose over the ruins of the city cascading down the steep slopes of the valley below. It's one of the most dramatic structures of the, of the Acropolis was what scholars believe to be the Temple of Zeus. It's a massive foundation of which all that remain on the southern slope of the site. The altar believed to be associated with the temple known today as the Great Altar of Pergamon had actually has now since been moved to Berlin in the 19th century by German archaeologists who evidently had an easy time getting permission for its removal from the indifferent authorities of the Ottoman Empire. And so now we see this temple thing that was there before has since been moved into Berlin, okay? And walking north from the Temple of Zeus and the site of the Altar of Pergamon, one encounters the remains of the Temple of Athena, constructed at the end of the 4th century or beginning of the 3rd century before Christ and dedicated to the city's patron goddess, who was Athena. Now, I'm going to have 
And I'm going to ask Dina to put up some pictures of this structure so you can get a good look at how it looks now in Berlin. Okay. And so we can take a look at that. But where am I going with all of this? Well, I'll tell you. What we see is we see John and Daniel attempting to worship angels and the angels saying, do not do it. And then we see the struggle that the people in Pergamos had because they were right at the seat of Satan. And so Jesus refers to the temple of Zeus as the seat of Satan. Why? Because they were worshiping Zeus and these mythological characters, okay? Athena, who was a goddess. And, uh, you know, they had these problems during the Greek period, and also the Romans did the same. Even Paul talked about having to go into Rome and contend with this kind of thing, okay? And so this is very much, you know, God's definition of the occult. The occult is when someone worships or pays homage to beings that have supernatural abilities that are not God Almighty, okay? And that would include Zeus, who is really representing Satan in this, or is Satan, actually. And here's a great way that we can see what's going on. If you look at this one picture of the temple of Zeus, you can see that there's these art uh, around the, the middle section. And if you move in closer, these are called friezes. That's what they're called, actually, like friezes. It's almost like a sculpture that is, you know, on the side of the building. It's the best way I can describe it. But if you move in close into these shots, like this first freeze, it's just incredible because in the background, you can see a snake. You can actually literally see a snake on the right side of this frieze. And then you can kind of see another, you know, the snake over to the left, kind of. You'd have, you can just make it out. And we have known for a very long time that the snake is symbolic of evil, even Satan, right? Yes, definitely. Okay, so we're going to take another look at another frieze on the side. And in this next one, you can literally see the snake and his head, like on the right side, at the down by the steps, right on the steps there. And then you can kind of see a snake body below. Um, you can see the man that is also, you can see a man that's also like becoming a snake, half snake, half human in this freeze. And then we'll take a look at this final freeze. We'll go and you, you can see it again. Let's take a look. You can see the snake. You can see a man with a snake body. It's like half man, half snake, kind of laying on the ground there on this freeze. Um, you can see a woman with a shield. And if you look over there, you can see the snake's head. She's got the shield in its mouth. I, I don't know if you can make that out. And then over to the left, you can see another snake head coming out next to the man and the freeze. And so, yeah, this is clearly, this is absolutely 100% clearly the temple of Zeus is the seat of Satan. It literally is. And so 
the thing that is significant about this is that in reference to these mythological creatures or excuse me characters these are fallen angels okay that's what jesus is showing us right here and the people were doing nothing more than worshiping fallen angels we can see in the bible that anytime someone has an idol uh that they've made or worshiped uh that they are literally worshiping demons uh, that's what the Bible says. And so all along, when they were talking about these mythological characters, they're talking about fallen angels and the demonic. Now, let's fast forward into current times. Same thing is going on. Nothing has changed because we're talking about ancient evil again. Let me give you an example. Like right now, people are caught up in these Roman god-like characters with all these superheroes. And we can see that they've just sort of taken over. Like, you know, every other day you're seeing these horrendous movies that everybody's going to and these characters like Thor and other characters this is this is the occult that's straight up it's all the occult and people have replaced jesus in their hearts for uh, these characters that are uh nothing less than exactly what they were doing in pergamos in that area of the world it's it's the same look repackaged by satan and passed off on a deceivable generation do you see what i'm saying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so we literally need to take our hands off of anything that is not of god almighty and i'm talking about when people are caught up in getting involved in anything that is supernatural that is not of you know jesus christ father god or holy spirit is demonic it's the occult and so we've got a whole generation that has just gone nuts over the supernatural but not of jesus himself and so we're looking at uh we've got a whole generation that are caught up in harry potter and all of that when god says that he hates wizards by the way and we, we see this, you know, you go back to the whole Twilight thing. Again, this is a mockery of God. And we talked about this before when, you know, the vamp, the whole vampire thing, the whole supernatural nature of that. You know, for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why are they so, why are vampires so caught up in biting the necks, drinking blood out of people's necks? Mm -hmm. Well, basically, the Bible says when it talks about the will of a human being not being of God, God called it stiff-necked. And when the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, he said they were stiff-necked. And it was because they would not give over their will to the will of God. Now, why stiff-necked? Well, because when the blood is taken out of the neck and the person is, you know, in, in a dying state, they're stiff, like a, like a cadaver, okay? And that's why God referred to them as being stiff-necked. The neck refers to the will, and and that stiff has to do with them being dead in their own will. Oh, because wow. They, yeah, because they've departed from the will of God, and they no longer 
have the power and energy flowing through them through the Holy Spirit, which comes to us only. God is the only source of true life. You know, the enemy, he can do these supernatural things, but it's always imitating true life, which is coming from God. And so we just have to look at this and ask ourselves, are we getting too involved in the occult? I mean, you really need to ask the question, what is the occult and and am I involved in it? And if you are caught up in things that have to do with supernatural characters, just like what happened with Pergamon, Pergamon, they had, they were in an area where they were worshiping these supernatural mythological characters. The same thing is holding true for people today. And it's the very same look. Okay, yeah, sure. They've got friezes on the side of the Temple of Zeus. Okay, well, you can go down in the movie theater and you're going to see the same kinds of posters and things of these characters. Nothing has changed. It's still the occult. Okay, so that was uh, definitely something that I wanted to let people be aware of. And so, you know, we, we really have to look at what we're doing. We have to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing honoring God and how can you know? Well, I really believe that if you give your life over to the Lord and say, Lord, please lead me, please open my eyes to the truth, show me through your words what is truth and what is not, and believe me, I believe God will lead you to the truth. So next, let's take a look at something I call labyrinth and mazes. And they have their connection to paganism and the occult. of the labyrinth has occult origins and it comes from king minos of greek mythology okay we're looking at greek mythology again who created the first maze as a prison for a wayward minotaur it has been used ever since as a religious symbol and spiritual tool by a variety of pagan cultures such as mayans and the celts and native americans the first Christian labyrinth appeared in a 4th century basilica in Orleansville, Algeria, which contains the words Sancta Ecclesia, indicating its use for religious purposes. So the most famous example can be found at the Cathedral of Chatar in France, which was constructed in the 13th century, allegedly used by Christians as a substitute for going on pilgrimage to Jerusalem during Crusades. But even though people call it Christian, they still come from occult origins. So let's see the scriptures that stand for God and why the occult labyrinth would most definitely be a mocking of God. So we can see the scriptures below. The straight way represents God's narrow path of holiness. It is the opposite of a maze or a labyrinth that is a crooked way and the way of the enemy. And so Isaiah 42, 16 says, And I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. And then Isaiah 45, 2 says, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. 
Uh, Jeremiah 31 9 says they shall come with weeping with supplications will I lead them I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble for I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn and we can continue to find these scriptures in the New Testament as well I think we need to take a look at this because so many of the churches are starting to get into these mazes now and it's clearly demonic is what it is and has not only is it going against scripture it it has its origins you know in the demonic and so we have to really 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 question these things what is going on and how in the world are we going to continue to do something that goes against god and i think that's what uh, we need to take a look at so let's take a look at something else dina the popped up in the Bible. Recently, I had had a personal revelation from the Lord over a scripture that troubled me for some time. And I think your listeners will find this interesting. In Numbers, the Israelites in the wilderness spoke out against God and Moses, complaining about their condition and even complaining about the heavenly manna God provided. So God sent on them fiery serpents, killing many. Wow, there's those snakes again, right? Then, after Moses prayed on their behalf, and God told Moses, take a fiery serpent on a pole, when the people look at the pole, after they are bitten, they will live. So I knew the serpent on the pole represented Christ on the cross. But why did God use a serpent to represent Christ? I mean, didn't the serpent represent Satan? And then the Lord showed me 2 Corinthians 5.21. And so it says, Jesus became sin, who knew no sin. And what is the ultimate representation of sin except the key instigator, who is the father of lies? So Jesus literally became sin, who knew no sin. And that is what the serpent on the pole means. When we look at the cross, we can see our perfect sin substitute, and we can be saved. No one else could have delivered us except sinless Christ, who took our punishment and delivers us from our fiery serpents. What do you think about that, Dina? Amen. Incredible. Amen. Did that really, like, throw you for a loop? I mean, it did me for a long time. Yeah, I often wondered what he meant by the serpent on the cross so um yeah right and for reference purposes that story can be found in numbers chapter 21 verse 5 through 9 and now when you read it it'll have a new meaning to you right but i think that there are times when the bible can be very sobering and we need to really have a awe and respect of the lord Dina, do you feel, as I do, that the whole world has trivialized God? Absolutely. I mean, when you stand in the line at the grocery and you see people there, I mean, how many times do you hear the Lord's name being used in vain in just during that time? Oh, many times. I mean, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous, right? You can't turn on the TV set without even hearing it either. I think we need to get to the point where uh, we have an awe in our hearts for God and not a disrespect or, you know, as I had said before, trivializing God, because we see that life can be short 
at any moment for any anyone. I mean, we can be cut off from this life suddenly. I mean, we read about sudden destruction. Well, an individual can have a sudden destruction at any moment, right? That's very true. Well, here are some sobering examples in the Bible. We see Nebuchadnezzar, remember that guy? We see him falling prey to his ego, putting himself above God, and he fell hard and fast, even as the words were in his mouth. Do you remember that? Yes. He was very prideful. Very prideful. Oh, yeah. Right. He was haughty. And let's take a look at Daniel verses or chapter 4, verse 31, 33. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. Wow. That is just unbelievable. I've heard of other things, like, did you ever hear that somebody that that owned or built the Titanic had said that even God couldn't sink it? And Marilyn Monroe, she said something to the effect um, that uh, she didn't need God, and a week later she was dead. Right, right, that's right. Exactly, I mean, wow, this is serious stuff. Let's take a look at Ananias who lied to the Holy Spirit, and he did it for the last time. Acts 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard such things. Wow. God definitely meant business. Yeah. And his wife showed up and she was also cast dead, right? Yep. That's right. It also reminds me of Lot's wife, too. Yes, it does. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, it yeah, does. She, she couldn't help but to look back on the world instead of going with God because there they had, a, they had a means of escape and she just had to look back and God turned her into stone. Well, then we can look at a farmer who was counting on his wealth for future security and he didn't expect to lose it all in one night. And we recall this story in Luke 12, 18 through 21. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth of treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, wow, that's a that's a shocking reality for that guy, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I know a lot of people that are doing the same thing. Not a lot, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Very much so. So, you know, Christians today take so much for granted, like their salvation. 
and being right with God. And grace is not a ticket to goof off. It has been proven time and again through scripture that you can never take your salvation for granted. The Bible continues to illustrate that you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, take, for example, that one third of the angels in heaven were cast down with Satan for following Satan and not God. Imagine angels who are right in heaven with God and still they fell. And we see that in Revelation 12:4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And so, you know, here are angels living in heaven with God, and they themselves were cast out. Yeah, and they were it's, in it's scary. Well, and here's another example that many who were privy to the messages of Christ on earth, and yet their day will not go well on their judgment day for rejecting the truth available to them. And we see this right in Matthew 10, verses 14 and 15. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And that was when, you know, Jesus sent the 70 out to minister. And mm -hmm. he advised them that if they would not receive them, that, um, it, you know, it was going to be better for um, Sodom and Gomorrah. I think that more than enough speaks for this generation. Now, let's take a let's go on further into the Bible, and this is really stunning. Uh, we see that in Revelation, at the end of a one thousand year reign of Christ on Earth, that after the devil is loosed again, that the number who follow him is an uncountable number, and God destroys them. These people are in the earth with Christ over them, and yet they fall. And so I'm talking about the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, which is uh, following the seven-year tribulation, okay, on earth. And we can see this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went up to the breadth of earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So this should serve as a warning to you that you need to be vigilant in your pursuit of God and to not be lax in your relationship with the Lord and to not get too comfy with the world while in the world. And I mean, this these people do this after they lived with God, with Jesus in charge during the millennial reign. Can you believe this, Dina? That's crazy to me. It will be the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. It's going to be a lot of people. Yeah, that's that's just crazy to me. And I think it's interesting to note that, you know, the, the God, he uh, brings down fire on them and destroys them, right? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think it's interesting for people to note that it is not before that point in time that God destroys the last enemy, which is death. And so we've heard that scripture, oh, death, where is thy sting, right? 
mm-hmm. which is talking about God is, you know, finally does away with death and decides he doesn't need it anymore. That doesn't happen until this event takes place. So many people think that God does away with death, the last enemy, he calls it, after the seven-year tribulation. Not so. Not so. Death is in existence right up to the the end of the thousand-year reign. I think that's very interesting. And so let's take a look at the full character of God and how important it is to not disregard the full character of God and and abusing of God's grace. I have received letters from people that the messages that I put out sometimes is a little too harsh. But not understanding the judgmental side of God and denying or ignoring it can be very dangerous. In fact, creating a God in your mind that is only about grace and mercy and not fear and judgment, as well as creating a God of your own making and not understanding all the facets of the true God, actually, the God of only grace and mercy without judgment and fear is a false God. And those who pursue such a God have created an idol to worship for themselves. You see, God of the Bible is a God of judgment who is to be feared. And something most people forget is that God judges the living and the condition of their life even before they are dead. So let me give you an example of this. And so here are a couple examples of God judging people before they passed away. So we can see this with Korah. Korah and others provoke God by rebelling against God's chosen leaders, Moses and Aaron. And this is what the scripture says happened. In Numbers 16, 23 through 33, and Moses said, hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. In these men die the common death of all men, or if they visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up with all the appertain unto them, they go down quick into the pit. Then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking of these words, the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men appertained unto Korah, and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them, went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them. And so we see here that Korah, who questioned the authority of Moses and Aaron, they had to everyone stand by their tents and those that followed Korah and Korah were swallowed up into the ground for being disrespectful to God's people, okay? Mm-hmm. So we see this again in Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Aaron's sons did not follow God's instructions and lived to regret it. And we see that in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, that these sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And so we see this again in the New Testament with Herod. Herod's fatal error was to take credit that belonged to God, and he too was judged by God while he was yet alive. In Acts 12, 21-23, And upon a said day Herod arrayed in royal apparel, 
sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is his voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Wow, that's some serious stuff right there. Yeah, it is. That should put the fear of God in anybody. Well, I mean, I can't help but to say that God brought Obama's uh, name to my attention. Because remember when he was having all those magazine covers with halos on them? Yeah, and the French president had that too, I believe, too. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, just like Herod, Herod did not say, no, only God is worthy. And boy, he didn't have a good ending, right? That's right. So this is very dangerous, what these people are doing. Extremely so. And this this can go on and on. But we need to be aware that we cannot put God below anything that we do. And, you know, we need to be outside of... Uh, God's judgment of the living. I mean, we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit, which we are sealed unto uh, the day of redemption. You know, you can grieve the Holy Spirit, and it, it is possible to do it, and it's very dangerous. And so we have to be very, very cautious about how we lead our lives and understand that God is a God to be respected in all ways, and we're living in a time where you know, we're at the height of disrespect for God like never before. Would you not agree, Dina? Yes, absolutely. You know, I also feel that this is an example more than ever that we absolutely have come to the end of ourselves. And the only thing really left is for God to come back and to deal with this evil world. And so how can we stay out of trouble, basically? (laughs) We need to surrender to the Lord fully. We need to give him our life completely, give it over to him. And he says that his yoke is easy and his burdens are light. And they are. And I guess you could take it from Dina and myself. We've really seen it in our own lives. And so we definitely need the Lord. And uh, now is the time to get right with the Lord and to be ready. Today is the day of your salvation, you guys. You don't want to put this off. You don't want to wait until tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. Today is the day. So if you need to get your houses in order, you need to forgive anybody, you need to turn away from that sin that the Holy Spirit has been convicting you about, then I would do that today. We want people to get ready because the time is so very short now. Yeah, the time is very short. I mean... We're a ticking time bomb, you know, wars and rumors of wars, distress Uh of nations. We've got signs in the sun, the moon, and and, in the stars. We have apocalyptic weather. We have a shortage of food supply. Um, Right. You know, it's just, it's so many prophecies that are occurring or just about to occur simultaneously. So if any, a time that we were at, that, that Jesus was at the door, it would be this generation. And, I, you know, I've always felt like one of, one of the sad things about losing, you know, a parent or someone you're close to is 
that that part of your life has gone because they were a big part of your life and your memories and that is gone but with god he's been there for it all he he knows everything about you and he's always there for you and i don't know why you would want to separate yourself from uh that relationship very true yeah and god will never die again people will come and go but god is always going to be there he will always be there And, you know, when you had certain struggles going on in your life, when you were at school and you had those struggles, your parents weren't there, but Jesus was there the whole time. He saw it all. And so he is there to talk with about anything that you've got on your mind because he knows everything about you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, he is amazing. So with all of that said, um, I want to thank you, Susan, for coming on the show. Mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. sharing all of these wonderful treasures with us. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. You can find this show on podcast at Anchor, Google, Spotify, and um, Apple. And you'll also be able to find it on Rumble. And this will also be located in our Jesus 24-7 playlist. So, Susan, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, just to please share our videos uh, go back and check our past videos and see if anything there is uh, of interest to you because we cover a lot of topics right Dina that's right we've got a topic for just about everything and for some reason we never run out of topics (laughs) god he keeps on bringing us new topics so he does yeah if you're looking for something you know We've got the entire Jesus 24-7 playlist, but we also have other separate playlists like, for instance, uh, Revelation for Beginners. We've got the entire Song of Solomon playlist, the entire book study, Intimacy with God. We've just got so much, so make sure you make it over to our playlist and go check out those videos. So with all of that said, thank you again, everybody, for watching, and we... We'll talk to you soon. God bless.